just in kind of thinking um, what we're going to be going over this evening in uh, Joshua chapter 7, and uh, you know, also thinking about some of the things that um, I've come across this week as far as the, uh, the chaplaincy is concerned, and, and um, you know, the, the different things that um, have taken place. Uh, I think about how, you know, even, uh, well, especially in the midst of troubles, um, tribulation, difficulties, challenges, uh, even um, <coughs> temptation, and the like, uh, it's at those moments that really our faith is what is uh, squeezed out of it or the lack thereof. And uh, also the understanding of our faith, uh, perhaps not by us, but by those who do have a genuine and solid understanding of the Word of God can recognize um, right away. And, um, and so I, I, I was thinking about how it was that even in times... Uh, or especially in those times of difficulty, how it is that, um, you know, for me, I've had the opportunity um, to um, share uh, as people, you know, have professed to be Christians, and then they tell me uh, certain things about uh, what they believe, and it allows me the opportunity to share with them truly what God's Word says, and hopefully give them some encouragement and some direction and some solid uh, ground that they could stand on, you know, uh, because there are too many people who were actually um, ignorant or confused because they've been hearing both from the world and also from those who claim to know the word of God and don't actually know it. So, you know, that's why it's important for us to even come together um, on, a, on a Wednesday night um, to just simply study the Word of God, to know it better, that we not only apply it to our lives, but also share it with others who perhaps may not have that understanding of God's Word. And so we're sharing hope with them, and we're, we're helping sometimes to correct, hopefully in a loving way, and um, we're, we're giving them, again, a good solid foundation upon which they themselves can stand on and, uh, and have greater strength in their faith. So... Uh, this evening we're in Joshua chapter 7, and in, uh, in this chapter, uh, I, I just want to say real quick, it's a, it's a chapter spoiler, right? Um, we know that AI is defeated, and it's because of vacant sin, <laughs> right? But through it, we see this judgment that comes. And, and what, what I want to start out, um, just right from the top saying, is that um, in judgment, in having sin revealed... Oftentimes, that's um, actually a place, that, that judgment and, and that time of, of uh, re- revelation of being revealed or uh, coming to the surface is a relief. It's a relief and it's an opportunity. And we're going to talk about those things and how it is that it is, that it is just that. And uh, because for us, we see this as a door leading to hope. And, uh, and we'll talk about that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And then Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. And I thought those verses were very fitting to uh, what we're going to cover this evening. So let's pray, and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've allowed us to gather together in your name, uh, to hear from you, to study your word, Father, to perhaps understand it better, Lord. And as we do hear your word, we know that it doesn't return void, and you accomplish exactly what you have purpose for it to accomplish in our lives. And so, Lord, you're faithful Um, Your word is absolutely amazing. It's not only nourishment to your people, Lord, for uh, we we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. 
But Lord, it's, it's a source of wisdom, of understanding how to live these lives to your glory. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to your children here, your sons and daughters, Lord, uh, your people, that we may be built up in your word, strengthened and have greater understanding, that you may be glorified in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this evening we're going to follow or continue following uh, basically Israel's uh, now travels through the, the promised land. Um, they had uh, just previously had victory over Jericho, and now they're advancing into Ai. And the following is an account of what happened and how it happened because of, as we'll see in the first verse here, their disobedience. So verse 1 of chapter 7, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. It's as if the Holy Spirit, as, he, as he's narrating, is like a, like a play, like setting the stage. He's, this first verse basically sets the stage in a, and gives us greater understanding as we go into the following verses and the rest of this chapter, is what we see here. Um, I was reminded of a, a time uh, back just a few years ago when I was going through dive school in Little Creek, Virginia. And I, I laugh because it wasn't just a few years ago. Right? I, I can't believe how many years have passed. But, uh, but I remember this one occasion. In fact, I was telling um, uh, Mr. Matthew um, uh, the other day about this, uh, this particular uh, event that took place. And I was the one that was in this training tank. The, the training tank for, for diving is actually above ground. It's not in the water. <laughs> It's above, and so it's basically a nice big um, pool that's above ground, and it has these viewing ports so that the instructors and the students can look in and see you fumbling around and trying to figure out how to cut and weld. And uh, so it's a training tank. So we uh, we were uh, there's a ladder that goes up to the top. Uh, we get dressed, we get uh, hatted up there, we go through all our pre-checks. And then we're, uh, we go, we descend the ladder in the training tank itself, go in there where everything is set up so we can start learning how to cut and weld. Well, it was my turn. And I was down there, and I was, I was doing great. I was, I was cutting big pieces of, of uh, metal. And, uh, and it was during that time to where they cut off the power and um, started telling me to, to ascend, to come up. And it sounded kind of urgent, and um, so I was putting my stuff away, you know, going through all the, the proper procedures to put everything away, and, and, I, and I did, and it was at that point to where uh, my proctor got on the comms and said, Montano, get up here now, right? And he said some other things um, to make sure that I understood that it was urgent. He's like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> will do. And uh, I was ascending, and as I was ascending, the hose, because it's all surface applied, so we have communications, we have our air coming down, what's called a pneumofathometer, which checks your depth and tells them just how deep you are and all that. So anyway, they're pulling me up by it, like, get up here now, right? And as I'm going, my, my dry suit is starting to suck in, so it's starting to cause some pressure, and I'm thinking, this, this isn't good. And then I realize that I don't hear the air coming into my helmet anymore, so I'm like, this is really not good, right? <laughs> so I'm coming to the top, and, I, and, and they, they basically push me over and sit me down. And these suits, by the way, are very heavy. And so you can't just like, okay, you know, just run over there. You're, you're like <laughs> doing one of those. And they sit me down, but they're pushing me. They sit me down right away. They almost like rip my head off as they're taking the pins off, and, and they take the helmet off. And I see my, my instructor, he's in front of me, he's like, are you okay? And like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, what's going on? And he goes from like making sure I was okay to just laying into everyone else. And I, I had no clue what was going on. So I get down off the platform. Finally, I figure out when we're all down there together and he's yelling at us that the first air compressor ran out of fuel. And so they went to the standby uh, compressor and that sputtered and then completely went off as well. So I had no air. 
The only error that I had was that which was in my suit and what was in the line itself, but there was no more error being pushed to me. And so thank God I wasn't like at 300 feet or something like that because I would have been in big trouble, right? So with that, the rest of the day was ruined. All of us were on um, what's called a quay wall. It's, it's a slanted piece of basically cement um, coming off from the front of a pier. And so we were all on this quay wall um, doing push-ups and doing eight-count bodybuilders and doing uh, all kinds of stuff for like at least two hours. So we were, we were all paying for this guy's mistake. He, he didn't do his pre-checks. He didn't check, make sure that, that the compressors had fuel in them, both of them. And, and we were all paying for that mistake. So <clears throat> um, our anger <laughs> burned against that one person, but we all paid for it. And then also our proctor's anger burned against all of us. It wasn't just the person who was doing the pre-checks and all that. Um, so it just taught me a great lesson as far as teamwork is concerned. And, and, uh, and how the reality of things is that one person's mistake can often impact many people. Not just that one person that made the mistake, but it can impact many lives. And, and that's a great life lesson for us. It's the, I learned those life lessons over and over, by the way, in the military, in the Navy. And, uh, but teamwork was just like drilled into me. We need to pay attention to detail. We need to make sure that we watch our buddies' backs, uh, and um, and we are to, when we, hey, we rejoice together, but we also <laughs> pay the consequences together, all together. Here, God said that there was one man that sinned, but his sin caused the Lord's anger and his judgment, his wrath to come on the nation of Israel as a whole. Sin entered the camp through one man and impacted the whole nation. God's favor was removed. If one man's sin can impact the whole nation of Israel, causing the death of 36 soldiers, the person himself, his family, and all that he owned, because we're going to see this in a few moments, then how much more impact would the sin of numerous people be on a nation? And, and I say that to, to really help us to understand the impact that many people can have in a society in, in the place in which we live in. That's why sin cannot remain in the camp of God's people. It just cannot remain. It shouldn't be. It, it's, it's, uh, it's behavior unbecoming of a Christian. It's something that we know very clearly according to God's word that it, it's, uh, it, it's in opposition to him. It brings shame. It doesn't bring him glory. And it ought not be in the midst of of his people. But can you imagine, you know, and we wonder sometimes why marriages are falling apart when one or both are not in the right place, they're not walking with the Lord. How about a family? We wonder, uh, you know, again, a society, a neighborhood, a, a workplace sometimes. You know, we wonder, but we know. We often wonder how we are being defeated on many fronts. Israel could not be defeated by the Canaanites. The Lord told him that. Nobody will be able to stand up against you. Everywhere that your foot steps, that will be yours. But you know who could defeat the Israelites? The Israelites. That's who could defeat the Israelites. Reject God in your life, and you too can be defeated by anything and in any way, big or small. Big or small. You will be, de be defeated. You will be overcome. The wrath of God is justified, but I am thankful that He is patient and merciful. Here's, here's where, you know, we see the Lord's character consistent throughout Scripture. I am thankful that He is patient and merciful, and He waits for us. He desires repentance from our sin and to be reconciled unto Him. So then the story continues as the Holy Spirit sets the stage for the rest of this chapter. Joshua chapter 7, verse 2. It says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, 
and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. Let's, let's stop there for just a moment. Prior to the crossing of the Jordan, and prior to the conquering of Jericho, the Lord had met and spoken with Joshua, giving him instructions on how to go about entering into and having victory in the land that God had promised them. But this time, there, we need to notice, there's no rendezvous with God. They didn't, they didn't come back and meet with Him. They didn't ask Him any questions. You don't see Joshua meeting with the Lord. There's no seeking after God that is mentioned. No divine voice that is leading the charge. We know, according to God's Word, that sin affects, it impacts our communication with the Lord. And until that sin is dealt with, we will continue to have problems talking with the Lord and seeking Him. Sin keeps us from that. If we insist on staying, remaining where we're at, it will impact our time with the Lord of prayer, of seeking Him. We won't seek Him because we know that we have something that has not been taken care of. If we're not spending time in prayer, then we're either confident in ourselves or we could care less about what He has to say. That's basically what it comes down to. We don't want to hear what He has to say. Or we are extremely confident in ourselves. Both of which, of course, are wrong. Here's where there's no mention again of Joshua going to the Lord and no one holding him accountable either. There, there's no mention of anyone. See, see for, for us here, we can ask each other. Have you gone to the Lord in regards to that? Have you sought the Lord in prayer? Are you sure that what you're doing and the direction that you're you know, going in is, is the right direction? Is, you know, we can hold each other accountable. We ought to do that. We're called to do that. We should <laughs> We're watching each other's backs when we do that. It's like going back to that whole illustration of, you know, everyone paying for one guy's mistake. Someone could have asked, hey, bro, let me see your pre-checks. And someone should have. You see, it wasn't just us. It wasn't just the chief that was overseeing everything, but there were supervisors there. The supervisor is the one that should have gone to him. Hey, listen, where are your pre-checks? I just want to go over them, sign them off didn't do that and if they did and they didn't check and they just signed them off oh that's really bad because they're just as guilty themselves for us we we shouldn't just sometimes take people at their word you know hey did you do your pre-checks yeah yeah everything's good hey, how you doing bro oh doing good you sure well actually right that's love that's brotherly love that's really having an interest in one another. We need to hold each other accountable in a good way, in a loving way, in a kind way, in a gentle way. So, again, there's no mention of Joshua going to the Lord, no one holding him accountable and seeking the Lord out. Instead, he relies on the report of, of, of very few faith-filled, perhaps, men or overconfident men. It's either one or the other, right? At the same time, remember that because there was sin in the camp, it really didn't matter how many Israelites were sent um, to take on Ai and conquer it. It really didn't. <laughs> it, it could have been 3,000. It could have been 10,000. It could have been 30,000, which we'll see in a few moments. That's what they sent. Uh, or it could have been 100,000. It didn't really matter. Sin was in the camp. They did not have the Lord going with them. Oftentimes, we ask if the Lord is going with us. We shouldn't ask that question. We should ask if we're going with the Lord. Wherever the Lord goes, that's where I want to go. Wherever that is. I just don't want to go anywhere without Him. So verse 4, as we continue. It says, So about 3,000 men went up from there, or there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Well, 
It was the people of the nations that, whose hearts were like water, melted because of uh, just the thought of the Israelites coming and now here their hearts are filled with fear. I mean, what happened here? Why, why is it that innocent men are dying? Where is the Lord? Didn't He say that no man would be able to stand against Joshua and that He would never leave them nor forsake them? Is that how you feel at times? Your word said this. And now I'm dealing with this. Where, where are you, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Many people say those very same words. You said you'd never leave me or forsake me. I feel forsaken right now. I feel abandoned. I feel like you've turned your face from me. What, where are you, Lord? Let me also remind you of something else that God told the Israelites. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. As the Lord gave encouragement to Joshua, He also told him the things to do, but in that He implied what not to do, and He told him what not to do explicitly as well. Why is it that they found themselves in this, in this place? Well, the reason is found in the first verse that we read. Their hearts melted because they realized that they were not invincible. They themselves. It wasn't a small defeat just because the number of men that were killed was small. You know, well, compared to 3,000 men, I mean, 36 isn't that many, is it? Not, not big, but they were routed. They were chased off. They were back at their camp, trembling, shaking, full, uh, filled with fear. It was a large defeat because it was 36 more men that died there than died in Jericho. And that was a much more difficult campaign. That was more of an impossible thing. Here, AI, nothing compared to Jericho. It's not the strength of the opponent that they feared, but that they didn't have the strength of the Lord with them. Without God, they could be defeated by anyone. Without the Lord, we could be defeated by anything and anyone. A, A little mouse can scamper by us and we can melt with fear. Right? In, in, in a way, that's how some of our problems are. Maybe not even like a, like a, a mouse. Maybe like a little ant going by. Hard, hard, you can hardly see it, and yet our hearts melt. Why? Because we're not trusting in the Lord, and we fall down. It's like, this is what you were afraid of right here? <laughs> like this? Right? That's what they were afraid of, that they didn't have the Lord with them. They didn't have His strength going before them. You see, with God, all things are possible. And when Jesus said that, He also said that with men, there are things that are impossible. That is without God. Man without God. So that's what they feared. That's what caused their melt, their, their hearts to melt and become as water. Verse 6, let's continue. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all, to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? 
Now, this reminds me of another time when the hearts of the nation of Israel melted with fear. They had just escaped from Egypt. The Pharaoh had changed his mind. The Egyptian army thus pursued them to the point to where they were trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And when Pharaoh drew closer, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and they beheld the Egyptians as they marched forward and toward them. So they were afraid. Their hearts melted with fear. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. How soon we forget when things go wrong, how faithful God has been to us and has been faithful for us in so many difficult circumstances and has delivered us from. We long for days gone by, not realizing that those days were not the good old days. In fact, we know that it it was the, the cries of the Israelites that came to the ear of the Lord And thus, he sent Moses to go be their deliverer. They were crying out to the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 9, God reviewed Israel's rebellion. And in verse 7, God said, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. It's like they forgot what they were delivered from and who delivered them from Pharaoh in Egypt. They forgot. Here in Ai's situation, it wasn't God that was to blame for their defeat, and yet they were blaming him, whining and complaining that they would have been content uh, if they would have stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, that we would have been content over there. It's like, no, you, the Lord promised you this side of the Jordan, not that side of the Jordan. You were in the wilderness on that side. This side, you're in the promised land, a land of milk and honey, prosperous. The Lord has reserved it for you, and he's brought you here. But what's wrong with us as people? Why do we do this when hard times come? Instead of running to the Lord, many times we run to our past as if that's where the answer to our problem lies. We reminisce about the days of old, right? Oh, when the days were so good. It's like, were the days really that good? Have you not drawn closer to the Lord? Have you not uh, you know, grown in your faith and your trust in the Lord? Then perhaps you should start doing that today. So that you could understand the character of God, how consistent He is, how faithful He is, how much He loves you, to understand God's grace, His compassion, His mercy, for His mercies are truly new every morning, every day. What He saved you from. It's amazing that we run to our past, and we shouldn't. We should be having our eyes fixed on the future on our hope in Christ. Knowing that our prize is Jesus Christ. One day, one day, just think about this, one day we will see Him in all of His glory. That's what we should be clinging to. That's what should be driving us, pulling us, helping us through these difficulties in life. Oh, hey, listen, I'm not going to lose heart. God told me that I'm going to experience tribulation in this life. But he said, don't lose heart, for I have overcome the world. Amen. I, we, need to, we need to hold that before us, not run to our past. It's our sin that provokes the Lord's anger. Besides, Scripture tells us, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Hebrews twelve six. I love that. If, if we're being disciplined... If certain things are being brought to the surface, it's because God loves us. He doesn't want to just punish us for no good reason. It's like, oh, I feel like I'm getting punished. No, you're being disciplined. There's a difference. 
Being disciplined means correction. It means desiring repentance, confession. Confession simply means, I agree with you, God. I have sinned against you. Forgive me. Forgive me. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. You know, as we sung one of the songs, you know, I'm reminded of 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins he is to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to make us clean. That, that amazes me. A simple, genuine cry to the Lord of confession of our sins and asking for Him to forgive us, He says, absolutely. Let's keep going. I want to strengthen you. I want to show you some things. I want to help you walk in an upright way before me, soundly before me. Let's go. And that's our Father. At the same time, Joshua's concern is legitimate. Because when the Canaanites hear about this defeat, they will absolutely lick their chops. No. If Ai defeated them, we certainly can. He says, and they'll come after them and they'll kill all of them. But another thing that Joshua's concerned with is God's name, his glory. You see, they have brought shame on the name of the Lord. Joshua knew, especially after having been told by God directly of his promise, that no one would be able to stand against them and that everywhere they stepped would be theirs. There is reason to this, and Joshua is on his face pleading with the Lord. So, God, if you said this, then, Lord, we brought shame, and I'm concerned about your name, the glory of your name. Joshua was genuinely concerned that God had turned his back on them and was no longer with them. And, and I was thinking about how, do we have that kind of heart within the church? Are we concerned most of all with the name of the Lord or with our own name? You, you see, that, that's, where, that's where I struggle. I struggle because I want people to come to this fellowship. Why? Because I want them to see how much God loves them. And God demonstrated that love to all of us through Jesus Christ. I, I want them to know. And at the same time, I do not want to elevate refuge. I don't want to elevate any person. No one. That's where the struggle is, right? And so therefore, I am convinced that the simple way of guarding against that is for you guys, for the church itself, to go out and invite people. Come. Come. Come to this fellowship of believers. I love my brothers and sisters. We together are worshiping and praising the Lord. We're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because I am I'm really concerned at elevating any other name above the name of the Lord. And sometimes we get that confused. There's no one person that should be in that place. It's only the Lord. It's His glory. It's no one else's glory. This is what Joshua was concerned with. Are we concerned about God being here and leading us? How much of what we do would still go on if God were not with us? Would we even notice? Joshua's main concern was that they had brought shame on the name of the Lord. Let me tell you that also, and in, in just in line with this, this whole um, place where we ought to be as a church. We need to, um, you know, we talk about revival. You know, like, I don't know. Like we talk about big revivals and we want we desire revival. We want to see big revival. And it's like, but revival really truly needs to start in the heart of his people right where we're at. Like we need to be completely 
um, given to, devoted to, committed to, um, Lord, uh, understanding that He's Lord and, and we follow Him and we're governed by Him. He's everything. We're content with Him. Because if that's what happens here within the church, oh, the fire will be set. We will be passionate for Him. We w- w- cannot be contained. We will be out speaking to people. We will be ministering to people in the name of the Lord. It has to start here. That's where it needs to start. But let's go on. Verse 10 says, The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. This was the Lord. <laughs> and there's, in your Bible, does it have an exclamation point? Yeah. So I, I guess I should say it again. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Right? Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs from their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Oh, we need to hear those words. (laughs) You know, talk about revival within the church. You know, repentance needs to start right here in this place among God's people. The other thing, how many things that have been devoted to destruction are found among us? How many? Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Our sin impacts our intimacy with the Lord. And then Proverbs 28, 9 says, One who turns away his ear from the law, that is from the word of God, even his prayer is an abomination. At the same time, if the Lord was completely silent, if the Lord had disregarded Joshua and the elders and the people, then it would have been a deafening silence from the Lord. But it wasn't. He replied, Get up. It's not over. But God tells Joshua to get up. And then tells him why things are the way they are. Why they cannot at this point stand before their enemies. He tells them in no uncertain terms, very clearly, exactly why. There is, because of this, still hope for the nation of Israel, but God is telling them that they must act and do away with what defiles them. We, can, we cannot stand against the enemy when we remain in our sin. We cannot. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? In that same chapter, the Apostle Paul continues in verses 12 and 13 saying, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. You know, and that kind of confronts the person who says, you know, who are you to judge? You know, well, no, we don't don't judge the world. The Lord, in fact, the Bible tells us, according to that verse, that God will judge the outsiders, those those who refuse and reject the Lord, they will be judged. And we, we know that to be certain, right? For us, that's not who we're judging. But we are judging within the church to make sure, hey, if we notice something that's, that's not right, that's, that's sin, right? We don't tolerate it in that we don't just accept it, look the other way. But we do identify it in a loving way. And we make sure that the little leaven doesn't remain. Why? Because... The church should be 
pure. <laughs> we, should, we should be able to stand upright before the Lord. The tolerance of the sin is worse than the sin itself because, because, because of this. It's an encouragement. It's like when you're tolerant and you look the other way, it's a source of encouragement that they receive and therefore remain in their sin. There's no conviction. Why? You know, I, God loves all people. You know, so who am I to judge? You know, live as you want. If that makes you happy, go ahead and, you know, keep doing what you're doing, I, I guess. You know, why would have God made you that way? Have you guys heard those things? Yeah. So a person who's tolerant in that way is someone who's compromising. And they're a source of encouragement for that person to remain in their sin. Romans chapter 1, verse 32 says, Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They are just as guilty, is what the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans. Achan stole from God and more, and it resulted in the death of 36 men and the nation not being able to stand before their enemies. But God continues to speak to Joshua. Verse 13 says, again, get up. This time, he had already told them all of the reason why they couldn't stand up against their enemies. But this time, he says, the Lord says to Joshua, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Uh, for, for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. This is the beginning. This is what the first thing that you need to do. Consecrate yourselves. As a people of God, we must do away with those things that take the place of God in our lives. It's idolatry. Sin entangles us like a web, just as a spider would trap, wrap, and kill its prey, so does the enemy as he entangles us with worldly enticements. He wraps us up. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We too must lay aside the world, the flesh, and pride, everything that would hinder us from walking with Christ and rather entangle us to death and at the same time stay focused on Jesus Christ. So we do away with those things. We shun those things. We turn away from them, but we turn to Jesus Christ. Not just away. We just don't put off. And because if we just are in the habit of just, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But then never turn to, to the Lord, then we're in trouble. Because <laughs> we're just going to put off and then put on something that's not of Christ. But here's where we need to get with the Lord. As the psalmist said in 139, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, that should be our prayer. A humble prayer before the Lord. Search me, O oh God. Know my, you know my heart. Reveal anything that is not of you. Any anxieties, any worries, anything that is not of you. Anything that has taken away my trust from you. Show it to me that I, that I may... Turn from that. And then lead me in the way everlasting. So the first thing that he tells them is consecrate yourselves. God continued, but in that God continues to address Joshua. Verse 14 as we continue. It says, In the morning therefore you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the households that the Lord takes shall come near by man by man. 
And he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. In verse 16, let's continue. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Hmm. Can you imagine the tension that was building up in the heads of the tribes as they were brought out? In their hearts, and then, and, then, and then the heads of the families within the tribe of Judah, and then the, the heads of the households within the families, and then Achan was singled out. Just the, the whole building up. But, but God describes it this way. That which was done is an outrageous thing. Our, our sin, our rebellion against him is seen as outrageous. That means what we do knowingly, a transgression, deliberately sinning against the Lord it is, is like a shocking thing. It's a bold thing that we've done against the Lord. It's like, that's, why is it such a shocking thing? Because we know God's grace. We know his love toward us. We know what he delivered us from. We know his faithfulness. And yet we insisted on doing this thing that he told us not to do. That's why it's shocking. It's like, after all that you know of the Lord... And you insist on doing this. It, it's shocking. It's bold. It's such self-centeredness. It's like, it's almost beyond comprehension. But then again, we're reminded of the flesh. The world and Satan that are against, they're opposed to the Lord. They are, they are his enemies. I cannot imagine how Achan must have felt knowing that judgment was getting closer and closer as the day progressed and his house was called out, his family, him. Sin seems to come with great pleasure for the moment. But it's a deception. It's short-lived. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, according to Hebrews 11.25. And now, Achan was identified and brought before Joshua, and here we see how he was addressed. Verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Third uh, John 1, 4. I write it in the Bibles that I buy my boys. And Third John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I sincerely, there's no greater joy. You can do anything. I don't really care. You just walk in the truth. Joshua was torn. Absolutely torn. But even in this situation, he was asking Achan, Achan, tell the truth and therefore give glory to God through confession, agreeing that what you did was wrong. Just as David said, I have sinned against the Lord and him alone. That, that's where we need to come to. You know, as, as we find ourselves perhaps in a, a place to where we have sinned, we should confess, but knowing that we have sinned against the Lord. And so Joshua was torn, just this, uh, this request to Achan by Joshua is a heart that was completely broken. But then we did have confession. Verse 20, And Achan answered Joshua, saying, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the, the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Confession. We do see here how Achan admitted to this sin, that he coveted these items, and covetousness always starts in the heart of a person. 
theft, adultery, uh, murder, uh, all of these also, they, they all begin in the heart. Before you're in a situation, let, let's, we need to understand this. Before we're ever in a situation, I, I can think of Joseph, how it was that, that he had determined that he was not going to sin against the Lord. Therefore, it was for that reason that there was no way, no matter what kind of great opportunity came before him with Potiphar's wife, that he was going to deny her any advances, even if she grabbed him by his clothes, he would leave her with those clothes and run out because he knew in the eyes of the Lord he was innocent. We should do the same. Before we're in any situation whatsoever, before we're tempted with anything, we should resolve in our own hearts that we will not compromise our spiritual integrity before the Lord. There's no way. There's nothing. I'm not going to do that. Therefore, when we get into that situation, it doesn't shock us. We simply know how to respond. Decide today whom you will serve and your decision will help you in tomorrow's dilemmas with godly wisdom. The answer for us is with what the psalmist said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I know the New King James says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Integrity is doing what's right, especially when no one is looking. For Achan, he thought no one was looking, but what he didn't realize is that the God of Israel is omniscient and omnipresent and will soon understand that he is also omnipotent. His sin was before the Lord and unto the Lord. Achan knew he had done wrong because he hid the items within his tent. For us here, for you, is there anything that you have dug beneath the soil of your tent and think no one knows? Jesus said, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. Luke 12, 3. And if you find yourself continuing to stumble in the sin that is covered beneath your tent, then what you've allowed sin to do is unearth the treasured word of God and replace it with something else. And that's what we do. We unearth God's word and we replace it with, with another treasure, something else that we treasure and we hold above the word of God. The good news for those in Christ is that we, when we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His willingness to embrace us and, and bring us back in when we genuinely turn back to Him. That's the good news. But then, when we do that, we must purpose to walk in the Spirit that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We should purpose to do such a thing. Now, I want to point out two things that Achan stole here. One was common theft of monetary value, the gold and the silver. But the other thing was this beautiful Babylonian garment. This was something that had to do more with the world popularity and status because anything that came from the great city of Babylon was stylish and it was in. And so Achan's theft on this item was one that signified a prideful desire that was deep inside of his heart. He wanted to be marked with success and to be, you could say, known for having something that was from Babylon, something stylish. As a Christian, sometimes uh, we struggle with our own, quote-unquote, Babylonian garments. Take your pick. It's not worth grasping for affluence, for prestige, or trying to be important in the eyes of the world because it separates us from God in the end. We're no longer content with Him. We long for other things above Him. And it's seen and demonstrated in our lives. Achan seemed to have had plenty of time to confess, confess his sin. Just remember how it was that uh, Joshua made it known exactly what was going on. He had plenty. He could have said, hey, you know what? I'm going to save you all this time. At this point, I'm, I'm just going to say it was, it was me. I did it. He had plenty of time to confess his sin, repent of it, and plead for mercy. But he didn't. Even after the consequences came in the form of 36 lives and shame before the people of Canaan, maybe he thought no one would find out or know. But we know that God did know. He did know. Instead of feeling terrible about our sin after the fact, we should feel fearful and terrible about our sin before we do it and not do it. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, true knowledge. That means understanding. Why? Because we fear most of all. I, 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 don't, I, I don't want to reach that place to where I find myself being corrected for those things that I have done that were completely in opposition to the Lord. It was sin. I knew it. I shouldn't have done it. What does God di- desire more than sacrifice? In other words, like repent a repentant heart. Obedience. Obedience. But we need, we need to really grow in the Lord and walk in the Spirit. Desire above all to, to never, never bring shame upon the name of the Lord. Here are the consequences of Achan's sin. <clears throat> Verse 22, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath, And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Accor, the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Accor. First note. The spoils were hidden, right? Obvious knowledge that it was not right to have these items. If, you're, if, you're, if he was hiding, if he had them in the open, then he would know, it's fine, and we could have these, right? But he had dug in his tent and hid them. So I know it's obvious, but we need to understand that that which is being hidden, we know is not right. We're, we're, we're hiding it, right? He was stealing from God. Because God, because God had commanded him not to take these items. They're all devoted to destruction. Secondly, and I would say the most shameful picture we can imagine when it comes to our sin is that it was all laid out before the Lord. That's why I pause there. It was all laid out. All the people saw and the Lord. It was laid before the Lord. Luke 12, 2 says, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Thirdly, the ultimate consequence, it was at this point that Achan's sin was revealed and set before the Lord. The result of this was death by stoning and destruction by fire. The problem was, and is an example to us, that Achan's sin would include the death of his wife, his children, and absolutely everything that he owned, everything that he had, everything. Satan works on fooling us into thinking that sin is pleasing to us in private. No one will know. No one will know if you take a bite out of the fruit of lustful desire, no matter what you lust after other than God. No matter what. It doesn't matter. Satan is trying to fool us. He's trying to deceive us. Uh, Lessen it. You know, it's not that bad. But the consequences, and I say uh, the consequences always include more than just ourselves. Uh, the impact is felt by more than just the individual. The consequences are felt by all those who are close to us, and the effects can sometimes be felt across families, friends, and maybe even generations to come. Not just the person committing the sin at that specific moment. The problem was that Achan coveted because he was dissatisfied with the way God ordered the affairs of his life. Otherwise, he would not have taken those items. Not a desire. I, I, don't, I don't care for the silver, the gold, the Babylonian garment. He told me not to touch them. I, I have no desire for those things. I don't care how much was there. Who was not there? I, I just don't, don't have any desire. So th- that was the problem. He was dis- dissatisfied with the way God ordered the affairs of his life, which led to the act of stealing from God and death. 
James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And that's exactly what we see here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Oh, the person who has learned to be content with the basics of life is the happy person. Joyful, content in the Lord. I don't desire anything else. I have everything in Jesus Christ. Food, clothing, shelter, you know, I'm, I'm good. These are great words to hold on to and really learn from. It's God's truth spoken to us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. These things that are spoken of here that are written about are those things which the Lord knows that we need and can use also to His glory. The bottom line is that food and clothing is what we are to be content with. And the question for us is, do we have that? Yeah, we do. We do. Here's the good news. When judgment was applied, blessing returned and victory followed in Ai. That's the next chapter. Because there is a chapter 8. This is consistent with God throughout the Bible. Yes, God is a holy and just God. He is also God who loves His people and deals with them consistently. So we need to understand that God is a just God. right? But as soon as we repent, as soon as we, we deal with the sin, all right, let's keep going. The sin is put to death. It's done away with. It's turned away from. We're reconciled unto the Lord. And we are lifted that back up. And we, we learn once, once more to walk with the Lord in His direction. We must learn from the story of Achan and the defeat of the Israelite army at Ai that sin cannot be uh, tolerated in the Christian life. There are serious consequences, and one must be reminded this evening that abide out of the proverbial apple of the forbidden tree of disobedience, whatever that may be, which is sin, will bring certain death, destruction, division. The dissatisfaction of where God has you will bring about covetousness that will lead to acting on the dissatisfaction and compromise of God's commandment. That's what it leads to. Even though this is a story of judgment, it is also a proclamation of hope for the blessings that will come again when sin is discharged, done away with, turned away from, confessed from the life of a person. And so, we see God's character consistent throughout the Bible. He desires, and we know, in fact, um, please, if you're jotting down notes, um, study Hosea. Go through Hosea. And in fact, and that's why I know that the Valley of Accor is also the door of hope. And that, because it's referred to in Hosea. Read through it. You'll, you'll see. How through it all. In fact, I know we don't have time for the whole thing, so I'll just tell you this. says, therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Accor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. I just want to say this, that when we are not fearful of God's correction. When we confess, oh, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He desires above all reconciliation, restoration. That's where we need to be as God's people, humble before Him 
acknowledging his holiness and his righteousness and desiring to ourselves be holy and righteous. Not in pride, but in humility. Because we want to honor and glorify the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. But we also acknowledge, Lord, that you require of us, Lord, that we would not just say, oh, I'm sorry for getting caught. Oh, I'm sorry for what I've done, Lord. You require from us a repentance, Lord. Lord, this anguish to overwhelm us, Father, of that which we have committed before you, as it's laid out before you. The shame that we have brought to you. But when we do confess our sins to you and and agree, Lord, that it's an offense against you and ask for, for your forgiveness, oh, Lord, you do forgive us, for that is what you desire. And you embrace us once more. Lord, help us to learn to walk with you, with you. Help us, Lord, to be obedient and a blessing glorifying to you in an encouragement to those around us. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.